1: Welcome to the Luck on Sunday podcast, a weekly audio digest of all the best bits of Luck on Sunday, free to air every Sunday from nine o'clock that brings you the best guests and insight from around the racing world. So lots to enjoy. My first guest today knows all about the stresses and strains of being a racehorse trainer. He also knows a good deal about success because his tally of winners goes right up into four figures. He's a classic winning trainer. He's trained two homebred winners at Royal Ascot and a homebred classic winner for his uh, former bosses, Andrew Black and Michael Owen. His relationship with them has now ended in a much publicized split from his role at Manor House. Uh, just before Christmas time and he's now re-establishing himself in his former base in Lambourne from where he sent out group winners at the July festival when he was just in his second season with a license. He's been assistant trainer to Rafe Beckett, he was also a successful jump jockey for Martin Pipe and he sought the council of some of the very best in the game. Uh, he is of course Tom Dascombe. Tom, good morning. Good morning Nick, I don't think there's much I need to say anymore, <laughs> I think you've said everything there is to say. <laughs> It's been it's been eventful though, hasn't it? If you if you'd said say twenty years ago you'd be in this position now with this many winners under your belt, a classic winner, and all the stories and ups and downs that have gone with it, would you have been surprised, or did you always think you were jumping onto a roller coaster?
2: No, I think um, if you'd asked me twenty years ago, I'd have said you're nuts, um, and uh, No, I mean, look, I've just loved every moment. And um, I'm blessed that um, horse racing is something I just totally love. And to just be here, what have I worked in horse racing? Thirty, thirty-three years. And to be able to say you've done that and still want to get up in the morning and do it again. I can't believe there's that many people in the world that are lucky enough to have their, their absolute passion as their job. I suppose that's the thing, isn't it?
1: No matter what life's throwing at you, or no matter what difficulties or scrapes you get yourself in, if you're still for that split second when your foot hits the floor in the morning feeling the same way that you did 33 years ago,
3: Yes, I mean, it's, it's it,
2: great. Yeah. Um, I mean, you know, there have been, obviously, there have been tricky times. Um, but um, it's, on the whole, it's been an absolute pleasure. Can you remember, and you've
1: done a great piece with James Byrne in the, in the post this morning where you talked about your teenage years and your experiences with your grandfather watching racing and your, your dad as well. Can you actually remember a moment where you thought, I'm hooked on this? I I love this sport, and this is what I want to do for the rest of my life.
2: I think that would be tricky to say, really, because, I mean, my earliest memories are of just horse racing, um, and wearing a riding hat, and I don't think there's ever, like, a key moment where it triggered. It's just all I ever wanted. Was it, and was it horses? Anything yeah, to horses, do with horses? horses? Was it the animal that, that got you? yeah. Yeah, um, and, particularly thoroughbreds um, <laughs> uh, you know i've spent a lot of time with other horses and I'm um, one of one of my favorite horses is a cob which was a wonderful hunter still is and um, but he doesn't have the brain of a thoroughbred, and being with thoroughbreds is that's what I want oh. so it's the fact that they can
1: they can think faster and you can do more with them they have more agility
2: yeah, and you I, enjoy
1: I, I, you, So you have you always enjoyed that training aspect of it
2: I think that if you can go to the sales and buy a yearling that you can afford and find somebody to own it because I can't afford it and educate it with a good rider and put it through the stalls and get it to the race course and it wins, it's just like, that's cool. And that, like breaking them in, I totally love it. And um, yeah, I think, you know, that's, uh, that's what I love about the game.
1: So you've gone from this position at, at Manor House where you're probably training 100 plus horses. Maybe a hundred, something like that. Roughly. Yeah. yeah. And you're now setting back up in Lambourne again on your own with the financial pressures that that entails. And you've got a dozen. How are you coping with that? How are you adjusting to that pace of
2: life? Uh, it's obviously an awful lot slower. Um, it's... I'm not starting again. I'm rebuilding. Mm-hmm. And that's what I keep trying to tell myself, you know, this isn't a new venture. It's just I've changed postcode. And it does seem strange where you have a, you know, a horse run, let's just say last Friday, and you haven't got another horse running until next Saturday, and you've got eight days without going to the races. And that. That's the tricky bit, mm-hmm. you know, because you don't want to run a the next day, you want to run her in the next race, you want to, you know, that's how it is, isn't it? You know, and so I've just got to be patient, and patience probably isn't my strongest <laughs> um attribute, but uh, you know, that's and we've just got to build and build, and if you think. You know a couple of weeks ago we had three horses and on monday we've got our 14th horse arriving and by the end of the next week we'll have our 15th and just gotta breathe deeply and be patient and it'll come
1: you said patience hasn't been your your strongest suit how have you managed to combine I mean, you've recognized a flaw in your, in your character. How have you managed to combine what you've recognized as that character flaw with such a su- relatively successful career? Because everyone says, well, that's what you need to do this job. You need that patience. You need
2: that, that cool-headedness. Yeah, no, I, t- I, I think maybe I'm doing myself an injustice a little bit because with horses, I'm very patient. Yeah. Um, with people, I'm not. And... Um Just gotta let it come, and it will.
1: When did you first think that going to Manor House to work with Michael Owen and and Andrew Black was a good idea?
2: Um, Almost straight away. um, I got a telephone call, was asked, and right at the beginning it didn't seem the most sensible thing to do, but after that, because you were yeah. going well, weren't you? You were having group yeah, winners no, no, in landlord. No, yeah. yeah, I mean, it, it was completely uproot, and that was probably a more difficult decision then to make. Um, but I made it quite quickly because I don't believe in messing around. And, um, look, it was, it was the right decision. I mean, it was the right decision. Um, uh, we had great few years together everything was cool and um, everything comes to an end and that's all I can say really it's just you know it was the right thing to do at the time and it was the right thing to do at the time to leave uh, which which parts of the job
1: gave you the most satisfaction when you were when you were there
2: gosh that's a tricky one isn't it um, I loved living in Cheshire um, the parts of the job, I When, suppose, when were you were happiest? When I was at my happiest? Um, I think when I was at my happiest was probably after the first season at Manor House, the first season was dreadful. And going from all the wonderful facilities in Lambourne to training on one gallop, um, And that's not a criticism, it's just a fact. Uh, And it was a beautiful gallop, and is a beautiful gallop. But going from all the grass and the long and the short and the back of the hill to going to train on one gallop, and you had to teach the horses that they were going to canter and gallop on the same strip. Mm -hmm. That was quite tricky I didn't understand it and if I didn't understand it I couldn't get the horses to understand it and after a year I think we got there Um, and I so I think the second year was probably the happiest time because I realized I understood what I was supposed to be doing.
1: So you realised then suddenly you had a future in this. There was a future in the yeah, enterprise absolutely. and you could 100%. do it. Yeah. And then you were knocking out your you yeah. know, your, your base your base rate was kind of your fifty winners a year and then and then build on top of that.
2: Yeah and uh, you know, I was very lucky. Um, actually I'm gonna see him later, Peter Deal. Um, I mean he sent me a whole school Rhythm of Light and um she won at Royal Ascot and then Brown Panther. And I think that sort of time, pretty short sure it's my second year there, it felt like everything had fallen into mm-hmm. place.
1: And, and tell me about your, your relationship with, with Michael Owen then.
2: Well, um, I mean, we were, I didn't know him at all when I went there. Um, I knew he was a football player. Uh, I mean, is that
1: literally all you knew?
2: That's all I knew, yeah. Uh, I mean, I remember once walking into the office and there was this nice young man sitting in a chair, and I said, hello, nice to meet you, you know, what do you do here? And he said, I don't work here. And it turned out it was Paul Scholes. And I have no understanding of football. I've got very little now. Um, But, I mean, Michael was a charming, lovely young man, and still is, still is the same, just a little bit older, like we all are. But you got on extremely well. We've got on extremely well for the whole time, um, and um, you know I, d- I don't have a bad word to say about anybody.
1: These are special moments for you, and I think this is the sort of, um, this is the sort of moment that people associate with your, with your career at, Manor house isn't it is it, it's that sort of spirit of enjoying the racing enjoying the day at the races you know that sort of camaraderie amongst the owners the entertainment side of it I know you a little and I know that whilst you whilst you are social you are also someone who is quite quite solitary in other ways did you find this aspect of it quite stressful the idea of having things
2: on all the time I think that, sometimes, especially Chester May Festival, things like that, um, but I, I do think we took a policy there that, you know, we couldn't guarantee your horse would be any good, um, but I could guarantee you'd have a good time. Mm-hmm. And looking after owners um, was very much part of having a racehorse, and it still is, don't get me wrong, But I do think that there was, um, you know, a real plug of, you know, come to the yard and enjoy your day and see your horse and have a glass of champagne and we'll go for lunch. And that was a huge part of it. And it still will be a huge part of what I try and do because, you know, when you're paying 55 pound a day, you need to make sure you enjoy doing that.
1: Welcome back, Tom Daskam and I now joined by Neil Channing. Welcome back to the show, Neil, good to see you. How are you? Very nice to see you. quite sort of spruce by your standards today. Well, that's very
0: sweet of you to say so. Um, Somebody said I should have worn white trainers to see whether I could get in. that's old news, isn't it? We don't even talk about that anymore. God,
1: so, it? has been a while since since we've seen. Yeah, yeah, yeah.
0: I know. I feel like yeah. I feel like you've been to uh, you've been to Leftwoodstown. I've been following you. You've been to. Did you go to Italy? Or not somewhere to, not to, to, my to a stud
1: farm in my dreams in I Europe. Went to Italy, as far or do I... you speak? Uh,
0: maybe you were just. Uh, maybe you were pretending <laughs> on your podcast that on your excellent podcast that you were in Italy, where you were just talking to someone in Italy. I, I maybe I didn't focus carefully, but you were definitely Don't in Kentucky. Tell off, that.
1: I definitely wasn't you, in Italy. You were,
0: you were definitely in Kentucky. I was in Kentucky. And for Derby uh, last week, yeah, yes. I went to the Baker's once. <laughs> Very nice. That was, that was about my journeys.
1: I asked Tom what what he'd have been if he if he hadn't been or if racing stopped tomorrow richer as you yeah. <laughs> <answer. laughs> um, if if betting didn't exist uh, I, I guess i'd have to if try gambling and find, was illegal i'd have, I'd have to it find might be soon at this rate well
0: exactly uh, well luckily they only consider you know grubby writing of betting slips and names of horses and you know, contacting online bookmakers as betting. So I can do all the other kinds of betting that won't be regulated, like buying fine wine, paintings, cryptocurrency, and all the other nonsense forms of investment that are, are not going to be regulated as heavy handedly as the betting industry. There we are. I chiseled in a moan about affordability checks. <laughs>
1: well, I set you up early quite nicely in the for day. It. You
0: did really tee me up for it. But yes, uh, no, I don't know. Actually, when I was younger, I, I, you know, much younger, when I was kind of 14 or something, uh, I sort of had this idea, you remember the, the, in the stock market in the old days you used to have those guys in the fancy blazers uh, and they would kind of do all that stuff and be s- selling pork bellies to each other. Um, I sort of fancied that and also fancied being an actor and so I ended up being a race course bookmaker for a while
1: which is a combination of the two,
0: I
3: think. <laughs> um,
1: D- Dave Neverson, of course is
3: Twin, he fancies twin, being an actor. Well, he doesn't, doesn't he? fancy.
1: It. He twins his career in here with. Well, I did. An say, I, yes, career. that's
0: true because he was he was a sort of jaded uh, ex uh, rock star from the '60s in an episode of uh, um, Never Mind the Buzzcocks, wasn't he? He mm. was in the uh, the, the kind the line of lineup. The lineup. And 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 somehow they looked at Dave Everson and said, "Yes, he looks like the sort of guy that might 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 be sort of a." a sort of long, you know, someone some us had a hard life in the rock industry. Oh, well, he's re- reformed that. Well, he, they picked
1: him out, didn't they, as, look, a, he looks as the, the
0: bassist for some obscure band or it, something.
1: He looks a lot younger than me now, that's he the thing. He definitely sure. does, he's oh, a very healthy. Um, right, It's okay, Dave won't be watching, it's fine. <laughs> he's an early bird these days. Uh, let's take a look back at the lock ins yesterday and a spectacular performance from Baid. Uh, the first horse to go into the lockage in unbeaten since Frankel ten years ago, and he emerged seven for seven in the hands of Jim Crowley. For William Haggis, you know, the centrepiece of a brilliant group race or stakes race treble for him, and it, it doesn't bear an enormous amount of of analysis, this race. He, he won as he liked, mm. and had the opposition been stronger, had the pace been quicker or more even you feel that he might just have won with as much if not more authority. Uh, well it's kind of funny that this week uh, you know going back
0: to the affordability stuff which everything goes back to that some people have been talking about you know can you enjoy racing without having a bet now I'm not averse to backing an odds-on chance I didn't have a bet on Baye yesterday uh, but I absolutely love this race and looking ahead I see Baid is odds-on for the Queen Anne uh, odds-on for the Sussex Stakes. I'm not certain, I mean I might have a bet on Baid at some stage during this season, but it's, it's quite possible that Baid runs in three races this year, after this, and is odds-on in all three of them and wins all three. And I'll probably love watching all of them. So even me, a sort of grizzled old punter that you'd think only cares about money and gambling and that aspect of the sport, uh, I, I was able to really enjoy this. Yeah, I thought it was breathtaking, actually. Um, yeah, really impressive, fantastic.
1: A real world is a very good horse on turf. It yeah, the uh, form is good. There's, form. there's
0: group one winners behind, isn't there? Group one horses, isn't
1: there? A yeah, real world certainly a group one horse. Yeah. It's an upgraded effort from Chindi Alcohol-free's just run okay. I want to talk about the rider here a little bit, Tom, because Jim Crowley, you described <coughs> earlier as one of your best friends uh, in the sport, and maybe get a little insight from you into into what you think a horse of this calibre, even though he's ridden lots and lots of good ones in these colours, um, will, will mean to him at this stage of his career?
2: Oh, that'd yeah, be a huge amount. Um, I mean, going back, you know, Jim rode uh, a horse for me in a hunter chase round Devon Nexter. Really? Um, we, <laughs> I drove the horse box, and he All came work. in the horse box, and you know, we're talking 20 something years ago. And I was probably there. I, would, I, I pretty much never missed a meeting there in those days. Yeah, well, I mean, you know, this is the class of man we're talking about. He's gone from riding anything, you know, um, to being champion flat jockey, to riding Group 1 winners. And I spoke to him yesterday and obviously just said, well done. But the reality is... There's huge amount of pressure, you know, on these jockeys and for him to ride the a group one lockinge like it was a bit of work goes to show how cool he is, you know. Um I mean I'm sure he never thought he'd get beat. Mm-hmm. Um, but um he just rode it like a piece mm. of work. And it was simple. And I think the horse is obviously very good, and so's the jockey, class act.
1: In those jobs when you're a, a retained rider to a Shadwell or a Judmont or Godolphin or whatever, well, it's not so much with Godolphin because te- you tend only to be riding for one or two trainers there, but the, the jobs where people have got horses spread around different trainers, it, it takes a bit of a superhuman to please all those people. And we've been talking about personal relationships in the sport. It's almost impossible you're going to be loved and revered by every one of the trainers who trains for Shadwell or every one of the trainers who trains for Judmont or... It, it, it must be a, very hard i think yeah, for I, all the financial rewards are obvious
2: i think i think it must be a tricky old job um because you can't please everybody all the time um and i do remember and i'm sure jim probably won't thank me for this sorry he's on a plane at the moment <laughs> <laughs> he's off to the um, but last year at royal ascot and i can't remember the name of the horse i got a feeling it was uh, it was he, a 16 to one shot they had three horses in the race. It would have been a seven furlong mile handicap, and he was riding the outsider of three of uh, yes, Shaker's horses. Yes, yeah. Started with a B, I think. Yeah. Um, and I rang him up. I said, "Why are you riding that?" And he said, "Because it'll win." And he was right. Yeah. He knows what he's doing. Yeah,
1: and that was when he had six winners at the meeting. That was two yeah. years ago, wasn't yeah. it? Yeah. Was it was yeah. in two years ago. Yeah, I think it yeah. yeah. was
2: last year. But time flies.
1: And then last year, so the, the roller coaster. You know, he, he won on the of th- for, for Haggis and got beaten on a sharder on the same day. And then he was beating himself up about giving them two indifferent, mm. indifferent rides. And suddenly, oof, everyone's saying, oh, he's no good. And the year before, they're saying he's ridden six winners. He's the best thing since sliced bread. Yeah, yeah, you,
0: yeah. Well, he won, he rode six winners, didn't he? And he had one, that, uh, I can't remember which it was now. It was it was the Marcus Tregoning horse? It was really unlucky. And uh, he kind of gave himself a hard time over that, even though he'd had six winners.
2: Yeah, had, yeah. yeah, it's a funny old game, isn't it? I mean, I think the last winner he rode for me was at um, oh, what's the track called in Wales? Ludlow. Mm-hmm. And I think that was the last winner he rode for me and I must have given him 100 rides and I flat and he can't ride me a winner. <laughs> uh, but over jumps he was mustered.
1: Uh, Jim Crowley, the winner yesterday, uh, aboard uh, baid who is a perfect 7 for 7. Uh, for Shadwell, I spoke to Angus Gold after the race and he stressed how important this was. To, to Shadwell as a, as a reformed commercial operation afterwards and the intention to sort of make this horse really the cornerstone of a future breeding operation. There were a lot of the Shadwell team there. They were all absolutely delighted, as you can imagine. Uh, as delighted as William Haggis, to whom I also spoke after the race at Newbury, he'd confessed to me that he'd been up at three o'clock in the morning worrying about the race. He was nervous all afternoon. How did he feel afterwards?
3: I feel much better, Nick, thank you very much. But it was a good performance. I, it's very hard when you're shaking a bit and to watch your race properly. Um, so I'll analyse it later uh, a few times. But by all accounts, everything is very straightforward.
1: Good, of course, is quite an interesting adjective to use because, to our eye, it was an exceptional performance, a significantly uh, above-average performance. When you say good, is that because you know just how good he is and I just what he could be capable I of? I
3: don't really know. I mean, he, I don't ask... I don't, I'm not a trainer who likes to find out at home. I like to find out on the track. Um, and I get them to a certain level to run and then they show what they've got. With this horse, he, every time I pitched him into a better race, he won just as easily. So the only time he wasn't very impressive was in the Moulin and that was my fault because I had him too fresh and he'd missed a bit and it was a bit risky. And he was silly going to post and a bit, little bit exuberant in the race. But today, and in the, in, he was very good in uh, the QE2 and today he was look very professional but as I say I'll be better when I've seen it again.
1: He beat the best miler of the last two years on the square at Ascot last year and I'd venture to suggest he was the only horse in Palace Piers career to beat him fair and square today he produced a performance of clinical brilliance, he looked as though he had so much speed how much are you hankering after a step up in trim? What Angus and I were talking about I'm
3: Not really and I don't know, I haven't obviously discussed it with Angus but I think it would be remiss of us not to try Uh, But it won't be short in the short-term future, all being well, it'll be Queen Anne and then I suspect Sussex, I would think, giving us enough time to go to the the Sussex or the Jacques Lamar. The two Group 1 races, the Jacques Lamar is too close to York, so it'll be Sussex, I suspect. I've got him in everything and I'm going to put him in the Eclipse, but I don't see the Eclipse being the right race for him. I think the Sussex is the right race if, if that's what they want to do.
0: And
1: for you, just casting your mind back to when he first walked into your stable, was there an inclination from anything he did that he would be out of the ordinary? No.
3: And, Nick, I was quoted as saying this week, and it's true, Uh, I am very lucky to have some very nice horses, very well-bred horses, and most of the top trainers are in the same boat, and we're just lucky if we land on one. And... I know I've said it lots and lots of times, it's a shame for for Sheikh Hamdan because he's bred one and this is a proper horse and you'd be very proud of him. Sheikh Ahisa, his daughter, is extremely proud of him and this is a very fitting tribute to a great breeding operation for a lot of years and a man who who put his head down and invested every single year and, uh, you know, I, I think this is very fitting really.
1: It is a, it's a wonderful tribute to his, his breeding operation. You've trained a lot of good horses. You've trained quite a few very good horses. You've trained one or two exceptional horses. Have you ever had a horse who, like this one, gets you in a cold sweat at 3 o'clock in the morning? Uh,
3: well, he, I hope he won't do that before Royal Ascot. I hope I'll be more um, composed then. Uh I haven't had a horse with this, his, his temperament and his speed, um, but you know we've had some as you say some lovely horses and we hope to have a few more before I call it a day but uh, steady he's a he's a well I'm getting old Nick and uh, it's it's a full-time job this but um, he's a lovely horse and it, it, it it's great and hopefully there may be a two-year-old I mean this time last year he was just another two-year-old like everything else and we have a few Cedar Stars and a few jibawis. and I mean I've been in to see the stars even before i trained for mrs choi and and you know he's, he's a fantastic stallion and sea of class was by him she was chestnut stayed well but she had speed and she had class and this horse has got speed
1: and every time you talk about him and her and good horses it's a, it's a little nod to her as well isn't it
3: absolutely she was uh, losing her was tragic and her, Try not to forget. Try not to remember it. But uh, she got cancer. I can remember a horse getting cancer, and we tried everything to save her, and and didn't. And um, but you, you, she was such a good filly. If she'd come back as a four-year-old, I ran her out at Ascot, kicked myself on heavy ground. But if she'd if she'd come forward, but she was never as quite as good at four because of she had a tumour in her stomach. But she was so good and, and so nearly won the arc. Let's
1: have a chat with John Gosden, who also has his team in, in excellent form and is properly loaded with, with good three-year-old fillies, as I pointed out to his son and co-trainer Thady yesterday. Uh, Nashwa was Holly Doyle's winner for the Gosden team in the silks of her retaining owner, Imad Al-Sagar, adding potentially another string to a, a very good-looking Oaks bow. Morning, John. Morning. Um, how impressed were you with Nashwa yesterday?
4: I suppose she settled so well, and then uh, when Holly asked her to go, she very quickly took five lengths out of the field and probably hit the front too soon.
1: Yeah, and Holly was saying she was almost trying to test her that little bit by, by riding her like a, like a very good horse, and said she'd almost surprised her by, by the alacrity with which she, she quickened up. Did that make you think differently about what her optimum stamina requirements
4: might be? Well, that's a fair question, because, look, she, she won, she showed great acceleration over a mile at Haydock. She's a filly who's strengthened. she's uh, very powerful now, but she's by a side that can um, and do it at any distance. So to that extent, we'll see over the next few days, she's obviously engaged at uh, Epsom and at uh, Shanti and the Peter Deanne.
1: And is the fact that you've got another you know another very powerful chance in the Oaks with Emily up, John. Is that going to be a deciding factor in, in where
4: you go or do you just play it for each one according to the suitability for them? No, I think you go by what you feels right for each filly and if you wind up running two in the same race it's a classic that, uh, you know, that's, not, that's not a sin. Uh, to that extent we'll just, you know, the next week, ten days will tell us everything how to play it. Okay, so would you say it's
1: 50-50 Prida-Diane Oaks at this stage?
4: That's probably a fair comment, and look, I discussed it with uh, with both the owner and uh, with uh, Teddy Grimthorpe and hopefully we'll come to the right conclusion.
1: Um, she's got that sort of that she's got that hint of, of of Frankleness about her, hasn't she? That very kind of exuberant, expressive action and the way she moves.
4: Yeah, it was the one thing about the Frankles and the he himself is the stride they had. I mean, Cracksman was no exception. His most amazing stride to him, and I think. Uh, and the, and the fact that they can maintain a very high cruising speed uh, is such an attribute.
1: Let's just take a look back at the, at the Musadora and, and Emily Upjohn. She's been wildly impressive to the eye this season, both at Sandown and at York. I mean, you'll have a better, a better feel that, than us as to what she's actually achieving, seeing her uh, every, every morning on the gallops. What do you think she achieved in the, in the Musidora? spectacular though it looked?
4: Well, I, I think she's, you know, she's a big rangy girl and it, she, she did very well to get on the track as a two-year-old and to go around Wolverhampton beating Colts. And Wolverhampton is, whatever you say, it's a track you need agility. Uh, the turns come pretty quick. So it's a good surface and it's often a good good learning ground for them. And uh, I think that probably impressed me as much as anything. She's obviously trained well in the spring. Frankie knew that she's a Philly order better use her strike. Uh, she did it sand down and then the other day, yeah, she was a little fresh a little full of it early on But she settled nicely found her rhythm quickened up well, so you could ask for no more She will have come to York is quite a contrast in tracks Is
1: there anything anything about her either physically or, or her demeanor that would in any way
4: concern you as regards Epson? No, I don't think so. She's well-balanced uh, I think the key to obviously to Epsom. it's a, You know, Epsom is an idiosyncratic track in many ways, but uh, that's where we run run the classics, and uh, you know, she'll stay very well, and she is one of those fillies who will improve uh, with time, because of the sheer sheer frame and size of her.
1: And it it seems a a certain irony that, you know, if somebody had said a couple of months ago, can you talk to John Gosn about your three-year-old fillies that I wouldn't be starting with in Spiral, but um, Thady was saying yesterday that she's cautiously you're cautiously optimistic that you'll, you, you'll get her to the Curragh for the the Irish 1,000 Guineas. Can you, can you um, confirm that?
4: Uh, no, I can't, because I think it's something we're going to discuss tomorrow uh, at this stage. She's been out this morning, we're happy with her, but uh, it has been a difficult spring for her. We've been very open about that. And uh, we'll just see whether that's the right thing to get her on a plane and fly her over there for a first race or whether we sit tight here, maybe run here, or whether we just wait for ask three or four aspects to discuss and the decision will be made tonight, uh, tomorrow morning. Are you
1: are you seeing a little bit of what you want to see yet?
4: Yeah, but she you know, she had her held up in her held up in her training in the spring, that happens, but she looks good, she works on the uh, round yesterday here at uh, Newmarket, but you know you miss you miss time in your preparation. Sometimes you don't want to try and cut a corner to catch up. That never works.
1: Okay, and John, uh, you've got to Reach for the Moon entered in the Heron Stakes at, at Sandown. Is that a is that a possibility this week?
4: It is. Yeah. Look, obviously we all know he sustained a last year. was unable to go to the Eclipse. Uh, sorry, to the Dewhurst, and he's. You know, he's been off a long time. Then he was back at the stud farm Sandringham them, we did the most fantastic job with him, came back into us and we very, very diligently, very carefully gone along with him. He would now from his work be you know, he's he's already for a run, but I'm gonna be very clear, he's knocking around the eighty, eighty five percent. But if I don't run him here in the Heron, we're in trouble to get a prep grace in before Rasta because if you look at it with his rating, he either carries top weight or very high weight in a older horse handicap, so it makes sense to run him at Sandown on Thursday, which I probably hope to do at this stage, and then uh, use that as a stepping stone to Ascot, and obviously Sandown, right-handed with a with an uphill finish is, is always a nice prep for Ascot.
1: Yeah, it's a it's a well-worn Gosden path as well. I know you've enjoyed the Heron Stakes before as a as a route to Ascot, and you've used it very successfully. And you've used it as a stepping stone to you know the top mile race at, at Ascot as well. Now, I'm not suggesting that this horse is going to be a a a Miler, but he's by see the stars the same sire as Bayed who showed prodigious pace and reached for the Moon didn't look like a slow horse last year. I mean are you convinced in your own mind he is a middle distance horse or not?
4: I think if anything talking to Frankie after work yesterday he probably feels he's very much a miler and a quarter horse. Yeah. Um that's the feel that he gets he, he felt from him and he's he's a pretty shrewd judge at this stage of his young burgeoning career.
1: <laughs> I I wondered if 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 you know if you'd ended up in the dante if you'd managed to win the dante with him do you think this is the debate we'd all
4: be having now or is he going to stay at epsom or not yeah i think it's a debate we would have him because as, uh, as uh, the majesty points out the mother was very 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 quick yeah
1: absolutely uh well we look forward to seeing him back um and then seeing where he where he might head uh, at royal ascot and i'll save the best till last and just we can just Luxuriate a little bit in Stradivarius. How's he? How is he?
4: He's in top form. He's out playing this morning. Uh, he, he pulled out. He went for his lead out uh, yesterday. Other racing had a good shout at everybody. He, he thoroughly enjoyed his uh, day out in York. He, he was quite vociferous before, before, and then in, in the paddock he was sensible, and he got quite vociferous after the race. But uh, look, he's thoroughly enjoying his training. Uh, I think Frankie thought, oh, I've hit a flat spot here, I better go. And next thing, he hit the front too soon, but he does have that great turn of foot. And there's no doubt then he gets on, you know, the fast side of good. That is the ground he really loves, because he, you know, obviously shows his acceleration on it.
1: Yeah, because he had two sort of mile and a half horses in front of him, and the stairs were sitting at the back, they weren't going that quick. And then he sauntered up to the horses who were supposed to be quicker horses as if, as if they were dead slow. It's a remarkable animal.
4: Yeah, he is, and for an eight-year-old entire, you know, yeah. it's a, I wouldn't say he's a challenge to, to train. He's he's a joy to train. On the other hand, you know, sometimes it's easier than it's has on building, that's for sure.
1: Yeah, I, that's it, it's 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 not talked about enough, maybe. And I remember Aidan uh, Ryan talking about it so much with Yates about how difficult it is to you know, to train entire as they get older and older, and you know their their hormones are racing to the extent that they are. When he the, the day he won the the Gold Cup at Ascot uh, two years ago, and he's walking around the paddock extremely cultish, to use the the, the well worn euphemism, you're thinking, well, how many more seasons is he is he going to go on, w- w- you know, with his mind on something else? Have you managed to take his mind off it in some
4: way? Well, I think it was interesting saddling in the stables at York. He was showing off in, uh, his manliness and no uncertain terms and prancing around on his hind legs. I thought, oof, yeah. But he crossed over the middle, had one more little play, and then it was business. It's extraordinary, he just switched up and You can see him stand down the start, and he just looks, looks, just stands there. He doesn't get cultish down there. He seems to do something that most human beings have failed to do, which is differentiate between work and play. Yeah, well, very,
1: <laughs> very well put. Um, ask it next. Obviously, if the, if, if the ground is suitable, I'm sure. Uh, have you thought beyond
4: Ascot or not? No, look, the plan was always to try and go for the Yorkshire Cup, Ascot Gold Cup and Goodwood. We just hope we don't get massive summer rain. It was very disappointing to have him in the stables at Goodwood last year and walk the course, and it was waterlogged heavy. Uh, and you don't have, normally, the Goodwood summer meeting does not normally start on advertised heavy ground. So I hope we don't run into that scenario again, because that's the one thing that we'll blunt we'll him.
1: I mean, we were all pointing out the other day that he he does now share the record of winning most horses at York with some very worthy handicappers, Dakota Gold and and Copper Knight. So, surely you've got to finish in the Lonsdale, haven't you?
4: (laughs) You're jumping. You know, you wouldn't make a jumps jockey. You'd be falling. You'd be looking three fences ahead. (laughs) Uh, No, one race at a time. Look, I'm always with him. It's beyond those. And we agree, the horse will tell us is we can have all the grand grandeur's plans we want to have, but the horse will tell us, and we'll just always play to him. Um, is there a horse that's given you as much pleasure? I think that's probably, no, there hasn't <laughs> And strangely enough, I'm touching wood now, which is my head, uh, less worries. Uh, most horses uh, test your nerves, but uh, he's just, he's been a joy to train throughout. He really has, there's no doubt about it. And he's, he's fun he's a really fun horse.
1: alright one last one who's going to win the derby I
4: was very impressed with the Dante winner I thought the way he quickened up was great he's by a that little old Nathaniel you know he, he's going to have no trouble getting the trip I think they'll go hard in the race with uh, Aidan's Galileo's and I'm hoping they set it up for him
1: and we've been very much supporting uh, Racing Welfare's Mental Health Awareness Week. There's David Arbuthnot. You've just, you've just seen mm-hmm. him. Uh, I don't need to give him the big build-up, because, uh, <laughs> because everyone can see you now, mm-hmm. David. Um, it's great to welcome you to the, to the studio, and um, people will remember you as a very successful trainer for, for many years, but you are turning your hand to uh, something very different, and dare I say it, without wishing to offend anyone in the training fraternity, probably rather more more important and rather more rather more vital
5: um yes yeah, so you know, I've when when I um, gave up training um, in 2019 mm-hmm. I wasn't sure what I wanted to do um, um, I didn't want to retire um, so l- luckily through racing welfare they got me a um, talking to a um, um, career coach, and by talking, um, I I got seven or eight sessions, and um, the more I talked um, about what I wanted to do, and um, it came to me that possibly um, through my career in racing, the stresses of being a trainer and everything like that is possibly. Um, I would like to learn and study counselling. Mm-hmm. Um, I have to say I knew nothing about you know, during my career. I had absolutely no idea what counselling was. Um, so um, they got me onto this course, and I started this course in Reading um, on level two, which about two years ago. I'm now on level four um, it's you know it's, it's a journey at the moment yeah and it's
1: a it's a fascinating journey and one I want to talk about much more um, how long were you training resources for
5: um, I took out my license in 1981 uh-huh. and retired in 2019 so I had a first in yeah so it's the it's the guts of 40 years yeah. really
1: um, w- when you look back on it now how do you how do you view it? Do you view it with with pride, with pleasure?
5: Oh, I, mean, I I, I love my my, my the, the whole. I mean, irrespective of whether it was going well or badly, yeah. um, I, I I did. Yeah, I I love I love the life. Yeah, you, know, um, you know. Before that, I'd been assistant to Philip Johnson Horton for seven years, and I'd worked in racing before that for different trainers. So rarely I'd been in racing all my. all all my work and life
1: and uh, we were talking to Tom earlier on and and I I don't know how much of of the interview you were you were listening to but he was saying that he just couldn't imagine doing anything else he couldn't imagine getting off off that wheel was that you in that time as well Um, when you were in it
5: well we we never thought of getting off the wheel Yeah, I mean it's it it was it was it was it was your way of life Mm -hmm. and it, it you know it's your Racing is your is your family if you so I mean yeah, I mean you, you you're so involved in all aspects of it You know you're not yeah, you know, I'd never You know I in a way, I, I'd Possibly like to still be trained today, but that you know, but I made that decision um, and You know it is you know it, 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 It's a life. Yeah, you know. so
1: why aren't you training today?
5: um It, you know, it was a decision I made, and it was it concerned probably about. I, you probably don't know that there was a case um, came up for me, which um, one of my horses failed a dope test, mm-hmm. and um, it hung over. It, it t- took two years to come to come to um, you know the to, to BHA to, 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 to for me to the case to come to. Sort out. And it turned out that one of my staff had put the butte, his butte, had had fed the butte to the horse who was going to race that day and then rang up um, the BHA to warn them that um, one of my horses was going to the races on butte. Um I yes we went through the, the case and um although they um agreed that I yeah you know, I I wasn't I, it, this has been done by mm-hmm. by the lad so um, deliberate sabotage yeah. um
1: somebody with an axe to grind and they yeah, accepted
5: that yeah they still they still find me um but you know it was completely out of my control and you know i just felt i i was a little bit let down by the by the b h n um and you know it just i decided probably that's time to go up that's a that's a
1: tough a tough tough um fine to 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 take i mean that's that's strikes it strikes me it, is as is a as a huge i mean i i i'm i won't I won't lie. I don't know the forensic details of this case, uh, but I'm so I'm only going mainly on what you're on what you're telling me. But I have no reason to, to doubt you, David, mm-hmm. at all. But um, that's pretty brutal, isn't it? That somebody's it? That, so, that not only the betrayal of somebody a member of your own staff is is going to sabotage you like that, but also that even though you are believed, the wheels of justice still crank against you.
5: I think it's more the time it, you know... Well you, you and know, you had we're, it hanging over you for two years. We are talking about sort of, um, you know, mental health awareness and everything. But, you know, I mean, to have that hanging over mm-hmm. for two years is, is a long time, you know. It might not have been quite two years, but it was certainly the bulk of two years, you know. um, And it's, you know, it, it's... It's a, it's a... As you say, someone having... Um, you know, something against me to do something like that. But it was also the process of, um, you know, but obviously, um, when they c- come in, you know, they came in, they didn't tell me originally that, um, you know, they someone had rung up and they knew knew this, you know, so that when they first came in, they, um, you know, I was out training the horses on that day and I literally had to come back in suddenly, you know, they're there all over the yard, which is fair enough because you know, you know they um, had a tip off, so yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, and I just felt possibly they, you yeah, know, I never quite understood why when the call went into the VHA, that it was never recorded, which you thought when you get calls like that, they would record calls so they could, um, you know, have evidence of it, yeah. Um, so anyway, you know. That's the reason I gave up, but you know it, that's now history. I, I sort of moved on from now. Yeah.
1: But it's a pretty, it's a pretty seismic moment. And often people who retrain as counsellors or, or psychotherapists say that that the the, the impetus has come from a, a traumatic moment in their in their lives that's kind of reshaped the way they think about things and people. I mean, would you say that that's the case here? That it has sort of reshaped the way you've thought about life?
5: Yeah, I, I think yes, it has. And I also would say. With what I've done now and what I'm doing now, I would say that um, it's reshaped the way I possibly would dealt with people mm-hmm. during my training career Interesting. You know, um, you know, in counseling um, we are taught to see the situation from almost in that person's shoes you know see see it from their point of view and many times you I think back when. Mm-hmm. I've had situations either with staff or whatever. If I had looked it from their picture, I might have you know, reacted to it differently. And,
1: and, and would have created a, a slightly different working atmosphere yes. because of that. Yep, yep. Um, tell me, though, how difficult that is when you're in the cut and thrust of a,
5: of a racing yard. Well, you know, obviously, as, as a trainer, you're under... lot of the time most of the time um, if you think you, you in my training career i probably my best year was i think i did a 20% winners runners ratio mm-hmm. but um, so that's still <laughs> you know only 20% often i was sort of around 10 to 15% so you think of the win- your winners 15% losers the other percentage is quite high isn't it yeah um, so You are always, there's always stresses of some sort. And um, again, in counseling, what's important is a therapeutic relationship. So a relationship, you're building up a relationship with, with with your client. Now, if you think in racing, there's many relationships. There's relationships between you and your staff, there's relationships between you and your owners. Um, there's relationships with you and um, the authorities. All this, there are relationships. And um, um, especially when, they, when the relationship, what we say fractures or whatever, um, is going to cause stress. Mm-hmm.
1: And in your, in your time so far as a, as a counselor, um, what what have you learned about about how people cope with and internalise stressful situations?
5: Um, what I, what, I, what I've learned, and I must say, I'm only a trainee counsellor at the but moment. But yeah, yeah, so
1: you're yeah. you're on your. But the, it, it's always best to ask someone who is actively <laughs> studying because yeah, yeah. all the all, all the information they I, they're know, I, up I the think I
5: alone. think and I think obviously during um, your Mental Health Awareness Week. I mean, I think the most important thing is that people must believe that they can talk. I'm working now um, on my placement for a a charity. It's called Time to Talk, Mm -hmm. which is, you know, which is what really is so important, Um, and not to bottle it up, you know, and keep it to yourself. under, also understand that in counselling it is totally confidential you know, that people can come and say exactly what they feel and believe and that it won't go any further and again you thinking about your own life through the prism
1: of what you're doing now was that something that you were guilty of yourself bottling up rather than talking
5: very much so yeah, yeah, I'm, 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 yeah. I was always the one to say I'm fine how are you I'm fine you know, and that sort of just keeps everyone a- away f- at your at arm's length. You know, and, th- and that 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 you know, that is, is, does not need to be. And I think um, um, it is so important that um, by talking through something, it, it just takes you from what you're. Th- what you've bottled up and, and keep you in the present. The more you talk, the more you can move down the line to maybe resolving or lessing that that, that 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 issue. So, just being able to share and having the confidence to to share. And I guess
1: part of your role is then encouraging people that it is okay to do that. People might want to, but there, there's sort of societal barriers in their in their way. I mean, and how how much do you think that's still manifesting? In horse racing, particularly, which still has a, a fairly significant degree of machismo about it—perhaps less
5: than it used to, but still to a certain extent—I I, I, you know, I, I know when when I started. Um, I mean, you know, it, it it it's it's the belief that um, you're showing weakness by mm-hmm. by 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 expressing and talking, which is I don't think true. I think what is Right and what is true, I think it's very brave to, you know, come and you know open up. And, you know, we talk about making yourself vulnerable. You know, actually talking about your problem, opening up, it takes a lot of you know, a lot of courage. Yeah. Do you
1: want now to specifically apply this to? Counseling within the horse racing industry, or is it going to be broader for
5: you? No, I, you know, the, the, the whole reason I started on this was to help. Or yeah, I don't know. I'm seventy next year, yeah. So yeah, I'm on. I, I don't know whether I'd, and I've still got another year and a half to go before if I qualify. You know, mm-hmm. And it's yeah, you know, it's a it's a, it's quite tough t- tough road to get there. Um, so whether I will. Um, Practice myself, I don't know, but what I want to do is create or help or advise, whatever create, you know, actually within racing a um, facility um, for, you know, for for counselling. Yeah. That's a, that sounds
1: like a, a, a wonderful initiative, mm. and I'm sure you're getting all the help that you need in that regard from from racing welfare. Uh, how are you enjoying being a student again?
5: Um, well, as I said before we came on, yeah, I, I said I think the last time I wrote an essay was 50 years ago, and I don't think it was a very good essay. <laughs> so, um, so you yeah, know, I'm, I'm enjoying it, but it's, 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 it's quite hard work.
1: Well, it might be a notable double for you in the next few weeks because, one, you'll be at Royal Ascot. Also, you'll be at the National Horse Racing Museum. Oh, because, yeah, I hope so. Because you will be there for one of its most important exhibitions. In, I like a in bit of Munning's, time. actually. There we are, thank you. Sir Alfred Munning's exhibition, which begins at uh, the end of this month, I think 10 or 11 days from now. I'll just get it confirmed. Catherine Field is curating the exhibition and joins me on the line now. Morning, Catherine. Good
6: morning, how are you?
1: Very well. Thanks so much for for joining us on the show today. Um, Just as briefly as you can, give us an indication as to why Munnings is so important and why he's one of the the most significant um, sporting artists and why this exhibition is going to be so fabulous.
6: Uh, Well, he's one of our uh, great, great equestrian artists, but he's also one of our best British artists, and he's a horseman through and through. So he spent his life owning... Um, training going to the race course at Newmarket he painted some of the heaths there um, it was it was a passion for him and i think that's reflected in his pictures
1: and and tell me a little bit about his his legacy on, on the art world as as much as anything else on the sporting art world
6: matter lost his appeal certainly commercially he is one of our most expensive british artists So any time he shows up at Christie's or Sotheby's, his fictions do really, really well. So I think that shows the the support he has with the public.
1: These are incredibly valuable works. They're incredibly important works historically and chronicling uh, equestrian sport and horse racing. This is a very rare opportunity, isn't it, for the the National Horse Racing Museum at Palace House, just in behind Newmarket High Street there to showcase his, his work.
6: The exhibitions just don't happen, so it gives the public the opportunity to see some of these pictures that are never on public display. A really important picture from the household cavalry is coming, so that's very exciting. And lots of public collections are lending, so a huge thank you to all our lenders as well.
1: And and just give me an indication as to the the work that has to go in in your part as the curator of the exhibition Gathering all these exhibits from all sorts of different places and 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 sort of making sure you're giving people something really stimulating I think we might just have not a great line there Uh, to Catherine Nope, and I heard the click and I think I think we may have lost Catherine field there, but you saw uh, uh, just an example of some of the the work that's being exhibited at at the museum From the end of this month do go on the on the website the National Horse Racing Museum website uh, For for more information. Uh, It's going to be fantastic. It's only a short run It's only running from end of May to to mid-June. So thanks 24th of May to the 11th of June Um, And you will be there
0: I hope so. I don't know. I don't get to Newmarket very often, but uh, maybe I should try
1: you don't get to Newmarket very often
0: I haven't been for years
1: actually it it is a very good reason for you to go to Newmarket if you're interested in the history in the heritage of the sport not only that it's absolutely beautiful buildings historic Mm. buildings and so so well looked after as well it's the hidden gem in the sport. That's <laughs> All I
0: can think about is that episode of Minder where Arthur Daly gets himself a dodgy Munnings and uh, he sells it to some rogue who notices that the, uh, the jockey's wearing a digital watch. <laughs>
1: That's all I could think about the whole time. Well, you can go and see the real thing. Yeah, there you go. <laughs> there you are. Fancy that! And you heard how rare it is. Yeah. No,
0: I do actually. I, I am. I know it's hard to believe. I am a bit of a culture
1: vulture. But I do quite like Muddings as an artist. Now they'd all be wearing a Fitbit like yours. <laughs> yeah, not, much, not much data on that. Is it, it there really isn't. There really isn't. <laughs> it sometimes wakes me up to check I'm not dead. Uh, well. At times you've been quite vital uh, this morning. <laughs>